I'm Pastor Steve. I'm one of three pastors here at Piney Ridge Church. It's my privilege to bring the message from the Word of God to you today. You know, raising children is hard work. I, I know that that little nugget of knowledge doesn't take a lot of you by surprise. While it's rewarding and it is fulfilling and there's a lot of love and joy and fun at times, good times are involved, it is also a daunting task. God puts us in charge of little sinful, willful, spiritually dead beings who captivate our hearts with their gummy, slobbery smiles and trick us into thinking that they're little innocent angels. And then wham, they become toddlers and minions from hell. Like the rest of us, right? And it's our job to train them, to discipline them, to encourage them, exhort them, love them, and most importantly, do everything that we can to convince them of their need for a Savior, to convince them of the horribleness of sin, and to point the way to salvation. We're to take them from these little helpless infants and guide them, train them, discipline them, help them reach full maturity as independent adults. And there are times when parenting is just mind-numbingly, heart-breakingly, faith-testingly hard. Parenthood is one of the most sanctifying crucibles ever created by God. It requires a fresh portion of His grace and mercy every morning and every ounce of the spiritual fruit that He has, has birthed within us. It is hard work to train them and to discipline them consistently and to do it all in love. And it's easy to grow weary. But parents, must press on and persevere and do the hard work until the end because it is worth it. You know what else is hard work? Being a biblical church member. If you're going to be a member of a church, it's hard work. The goal of the church, according to Ephesians 4, is that we all attain to the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to full maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into the head, which is Christ, and we are to build ourselves up in love. Attaining to maturity, it sounds a little bit like raising children, doesn't it? And that's what God is doing in the church. And after Paul tells us the goal of the church, he gives us the means by which we're to accomplish this, how we are to relate to one another. We're to speak the truth 
in love to each other. We are to control our anger around each other. We are to control our tongues in such a way that what comes out of our mouth is not corrupting, but rather is gracious and benefits the hearer. We're to put away all bitterness and anger and clamor and slander and malice, and we're to love one another, tenderhearted, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And it's not always easy, is it? In fact, like parenting, it can be mind-numbingly, heartbreakingly, faith-testingly hard work to be a biblical church member. And to do it well, we need a fresh portion of God's grace and mercy every morning and every ounce of spiritual fruit that He's birthed in us. But listen to me, just like parenting, being a biblical church member, though it is hard work, is worth it. It's worth it because we need to come to an understanding of how horrible sin is. And we need to be committed to putting it to death in ourselves, but we also need to be committed to seeing it put to death in each other. And the fruit that we reap from this hard work is priceless. That's Paul's message to the Thessalonian church in our passage this morning. He says, do not grow weary in doing good. And this command is given within the context of what Jason preached about last week, the disorderly behavior of the church, some of the church members in Thessalonica that resulted from their lack of determination to honor God with hard work. And it's given within the context of how we should treat those within the church who are disobedient to the commands of God. So the primary theme of the passage is that God's people should persevere in obeying His commands and in exhorting others in the church to do likewise. And my prayer for you this morning is that you will hear God speaking to you through this message, that you will be renewed in your understanding of how horrible sin is and be committed to stamp it out, to kill it, to go to war against it, not just in yourself, but in the church, that you will grow in steadfastness and perseverance and the obedience that comes from faith, and that you will also love others in the church so much that you will help them be about the job of killing sin in their lives as well, and that in all of this you will not grow weary in doing good. Would you please stand? in honor of the reading of God's Word. This morning's passage begins with the second part of verse 6 and then picks up again in verse 13, but I'm going to read the entire section that Jason preached on last week as well as mine so that you can get the, the sense of our passage within its context. So starting in verse 6 of 2 Thessalonians 3. Now, 
We commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness and, not, and are not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you will cause this word to seep into our hearts this morning, that we will meditate on it, that we will see the horribleness of sin, the horribleness of the consequences of sin, namely the death of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And Lord, that we will have a fresh determination to go to battle against sin, both in ourselves and in the church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have a seat. So looking here in uh, verse 12, Paul gives a command to the disorderly idlers who refuse to work. Those busybodies who are mooching off of other members in the church, maybe those who are more well-off. And he tells them to work quietly and to, to earn their own living. And then at the beginning of verse 13, he says, as for you, which is our signal that he's switching audiences. In verse 12, he's been speaking to those disobedient members of the church, and now he's directing a command to the obedient members of the church. And the command is this, do not grow weary in doing good. I love how Paul writes that. If, if this was the letter of Steve to the Second Thessalonians, I would have probably said something like, keep doing good. Okay? But Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, says it in a much more memorable way. He says, do not grow weary in doing good, which has so much in there. It says... Do good to each other. Keep doing good to each other, and don't let it become tiresome. And this command, I mean, this is worthy of a coffee mug, don't you think? It's worthy of a little framed thing in our... I mean, it could stand alone, right? Do not grow weary in doing good. In fact, it kind of does stand alone in a similar passage in Galatians 6. Let's look at that. Galatians 6, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> And Paul writes, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul here is commanding us to be a blessing, blessing in our community. In fact, that's part of the vision statement of Piney Ridge Church that says that we long to be a people so transformed by grace that our living faith moves us to actively love others. And so we are to bless those in the community and our neighbors when we see them in need, but we are to have an an extra weight of responsibility to help those within our body when we see them in need. Let me give you an example of this. It comes from my son's church. My son is the pastor at First Baptist Church, Nixa, Missouri, south of Springfield. And he has a fellow pastor in that church who was diagnosed with ALS two to three years ago. If you're not familiar with ALS, it's a degenerative nerve de- uh, disease where the nerve endings fail, cease to work properly, and that results in the, losing the use of muscles. And it's degenerative and progressive. It just gets worse and worse. It start off where you have trouble walking, and then pretty soon you can't walk at all, and then you lose some of your fine motor skills, and then before you know it, you can't feed yourself or take care of your bodily needs. And by now, it's progressed in Vernon's body to where he can no longer speak. And Vernon's about my age, maybe a couple years younger, And so his kids have grown, and they're out of the house. And so you can imagine that all of this weight of responsibility of caring for Vernon has fallen on his wife. But there's a man in my son's church who saw that happening. And he went to Vernon's wife, and he said, Will you train me for how to take care of Vernon in the morning, how to get him out of bed, how to take care of his needs and clean him up and get him dressed? And how to do the physical therapy that takes like 45 minutes to an hour every morning to stretch his muscles so that they don't totally atrophy. And so she did that. She trained him. And do you know that man goes over to their house every morning for a couple of hours and he helps and he takes care of Vernon so that his wife can get up and get herself ready for the day, and make breakfast, and drink coffee, and read her Bible, and pray. That's how you take care of the body when you see see the need. And, And by the way, this man is not retired. After he does all this, he goes to work. And sometimes he has to travel for work, and so he has gotten two other men in the church and trained them so that when he's traveling, the ministry does not stop. What a great example of the body of Christ taking care of each other. But can you imagine every day? You know, when, when I'm asked to do something nice for somebody, I'm, always, I'm glad to do it most of the time. But when, it, when I have to do it again, I, I'm a little less glad. And if I was this man, probably by the end of the first week, I'd be looking for a way to get out. You know, this is starting to cramp my style. It's easy to grow weary of doing good. But here in the Galatians passage, Paul says, but if you do not give up, you will reap. Reap what? 
Well, I think part of it is that, that if you continue to do good, it's going to bear fruit. I am sure that this has borne fruit in Vernon's life and his wife's life. I'm sure that it has borne fruit in the man who's, who's doing this in his life. I'm sure that it's borne fruit in their church as they've watched this man take care and encouraged by this man ministering to this family. But I also think it means you'll reap a reward. Paul puts that in there. Don't give up because you'll reap a reward. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by a potential reward. I think sometimes we think, well, if we're not doing it altruistically and not expecting anything in return, that that's, that doesn't count. But the Bible tells us that Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross, for the joy that was set before him. There's nothing wrong with being motivated by a potential reward from God. Well, you can see that there are applications for us of this verse, right? When we are, are doing a job, maybe a thankless job, by ourselves, serving the church or serving someone, serving our family. And nobody, nobody seems to notice. In fact, people seem to be going out of their way to make our job harder. Don't grow weary in doing good. For if you don't give up, you'll reap a reward. Or maybe you're discipling someone. Maybe you're pouring into them every, every week or couple times a month, and, and you're doing this, and, and you're not seeing visible fruit. Don't grow weary in doing good. Walk by faith and not by sight. Trust that even though you don't see it, that God is producing fruit in that person. Piney Ridge Church, don't grow weary in doing good. For if you do not give up, you'll reap. You'll bear fruit. God will bear fruit through your work, and you'll reap a reward in due season. Here in 2 Thessalonians 3, the passage is given to us within the context of what's going on in the Thessalonian church. We've got members of the church who continue to be disobedient to the teaching of Paul. And so Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. He says this to the obedient church members, possibly to those people who were taken advantage of. You know, sometimes when we get burned, it's easy to use that as an excuse to stop doing good, right? Don't do that. Don't grow weary in doing good. But I think most likely Paul has in mind what he's about to tell the Thessalonian church. He's about to instruct them on how to relate to these people who continually live in unrepentant sin. And he knows that it's going to be hard work. He knows that it's going to wear on them. And he says to them, don't grow weary in doing good. The first thing that I want to talk about here is the patience that Paul shows in dealing with these disobedient church members. And we want to look at this 
in light of Jesus' teaching from Matthew 18 on church discipline. So I want to run through that first. Jesus teaches, gives us a very good template for how to deal with unrepentant sinners in a church in Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. Here's what he says. He, he gives us four steps. So step one is in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's step one. Here's step two, verse 16. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then step three, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And then step four, the last step, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector, as one who is not part of the church. In other words, remove that person from the church. And so let's look at what Paul is instructing the Thessalonian believers. And I think to really get a good picture of Paul following this template, we need to talk about the backstory just for a minute. From the book of Acts, we know that Paul, Timothy, and Silas went from Philippi, where Paul and Silas had been beaten and thrown in prison, and, and they traveled to Thessalonica, and we're told that they stayed there for three, that they preached in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. And then most of the Jews didn't believe. They were politely asked to leave, he says with tongue in cheek. And then they went to the Gentiles and began teaching them. And Acts doesn't tell us how long that took. But it gives us a sense that it wasn't very long before the Jews rousted up a mob and, and ran them out of town. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas most likely were there just for a very short amount of time. But from the letter that Paul wrote, the first letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, we can get an idea of some of the things that Paul did relative to this this sin of idleness that was going on in the church. So let's look at a couple passages from 1 Thessalonians, starting with chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And so... The first thing that, that Paul says here, we notice that Paul and Timothy and Silas taught them by example. Here's our example and follow it. And in fact, up here previously in the passage in 2 Thessalonians, he said, Remember, you yourselves know, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Okay? So Paul taught them by example. Let's look at another passage in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, starting in verse 10. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. And so when Paul and Timothy and Silas were there for their first visit, they instructed the Thessalonians that they should stop this idleness and that they should work with their hands. 
I'm sure that some of this instruction was one-on-one, like the first step in Jesus' template. Some of it might have been in a group setting, but they instructed them, and they said, you need to stop this, and you need to get to work. Later on in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. And so here Paul is instructing the members of the church to admonish the idle. And that may have led to step two, where, where several people went up to the idol and they said, you need to stop this. So my point in going through this is that Paul didn't just say, okay, I told you one time that you need to stop this. You disobeyed. We're going to boot you out of the church. That's not how church discipline works. Paul instead has been patient with the Thessalonians, urging them to forsake their sin and to repent and follow Christ and be obedient to his commands. But now he gets the report after his first letter was sent out that there are some that are still idle, so now it's time to move on to another step. And so let's look at what Paul's instructions are there in verses 14 and 15. The first thing that we notice that Paul says is, take note of those who are disobedient. So now the church was to know who those disobedient, that's telling the church, right? That's step three. Tell the church. And then he says in verse six, he says, and keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness. Perhaps that's a command to those who had been supporting them, saying stop that, stop supporting them. Keep away from them. But then in verse 14, he says, have nothing to do with them. So now that indicates to me that that they were going to be held out, left out of the activities, some of the activities of the church. I assume that we, we know that the early church often had communal meals, and so maybe they were disinvited. Most significantly, they were probably disinvited from the Lord's table which is one of the most visible ways that we partake with the church that shows us that we are part of the church. And the goal, Paul says, is so that they will be ashamed. You know, in 21st century America, shame has such a negative connotation. It's always bad. We don't shame people. Don't shame your children, right? That's what we hear. But biblically, we see that God uses shame to bring people to repentance. That's what Paul's goal is. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't apologize for Paul saying, we, I want them to be ashamed of their sin. I want them to be ashamed so that they will repent and return to the Lord. And while we at Piney Ridge Church 
believe strongly in church discipline, we also believe in following these steps. But when it gets to this point where he says, stay away from them so that they'll be ashamed of their sin, it's important that the church, if we have unrepentant sinners in our midst, it's important for us to help those people feel the weight of their sin. There needs to be some pain involved, right? We know that as parents. There needs to be some pain involved, and they need to understand the seriousness of sin and the danger that their souls are in. Commentators are split on whether Paul is actually talking about excommunication here. But when I look at verse 15, I don't believe that's so. Remember what Jesus said when he got to the fourth step? How did he say to treat those people? As if they're unbelievers, right? Gentiles, tax collectors. But how does Paul say to treat these people? Look at verse 15. Paul says, don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So we haven't reached that final step yet, and hopefully, I'm sure that Paul's hope and prayer is they never will, but that the people will feel ashamed and, and that they will repent of their sin and get to work with their hands and stop being busybodies. So be patient with those in the church who are sinning. Go to them one-on-one -on -one and talk to them. And if they don't listen, take somebody with you and talk to them and encourage them and admonish them and exhort them to repent and walk in repentance and walk in obedience that leads to faith or that comes from faith. Warn him as a brother. Church discipline is a necessary function of the church. It's necessary because we're all sinners. And we need to understand the depths of depravity that still is in our hearts. And, and more important... We need to understand the seriousness of sin. Sin doesn't just affect our fellowship with God, but when I sin, it affects the whole church. And so church discipline is necessary for the protection of the individual member, but also for the church corporately. So how does it work? How can we do a better job of of executing church discipline. Well, I think that the best way is for everyone to commit to getting involved in relationships with people where we're willing to confess our own sin and we're willing to confront sin in the other. And that's hard work. It's a commitment of time and energy. You have to make yourself vulnerable and open to someone else. It takes a great amount of humility. It takes a great amount of grace 
mercy, forgiveness. It takes a willingness to maybe get some blowback, right? But I want to encourage all of you to be a part of a relationship or maybe a couple relationships, maybe a group of three, where you are open to discussing your sin and the other person's sin. Listen, we need to understand that sin is an enemy and that we need to go to war against sin, that we need to fight a battle against sin and put it to death. We don't need to be mamby-pamby about sin. And so we need to begin having those relationships within the church where we are helping each other to put sin to death in our lives. So Piney Ridge Church, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in serving people that are in need within the body and people that are in need within the community. And don't grow weary in helping each other to fight the war against sin. Like parenting, it is hard work. But like parenting, the rewards are great if you don't give up, if you persevere. We're going to take communion in just a minute. I know that this has not been one of those feel-good messages where everybody's going to slap me on the back on the way out and say, boy, that really fed me. (laughs) It's one of those that you're going to need to think about, right? And it's challenging. It's a challenging message. But I pray that the Holy Spirit will use that in your heart. And as you come to take communion this morning, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation and the forgiveness of your sin, I ask you not to come. Because the Bible warns us that warns us against taking this meal when we haven't become a follower of Christ. But for those of you who have, for those of you who have been baptized in a church in affirmation of your profession of faith, I invite you to come. And as you take this meal, I invite you to First of all, do it in gratitude for the one who did not grow weary of doing good, Jesus Christ. He did that perfectly. He never grew tired of doing good, even to the point of death on a cross that he did for you. And as you take the wafer that represents his broken body and drink the juice that represents the blood that he spilled for you, I encourage you to do so with gratitude, but I also encourage you to do so with a commitment in your heart to do battle against sin 
This week, I want you to think, how can I do battle against sin? And then I want you to think, who is someone in this congregation that I could get into a relationship with? Where we get to the point where we can confess sin and confront sin in each other's lives. And then act on that. Begin to develop that relationship. I encourage you as you take communion this morning to make that commitment. For those of you who should, you may now come to the Lord's table.